We'll be talking today about real-world strategies to improve outcomes for the ages of 2 to 5, mild to moderate, with atopic dermatitis. I'm Dr. Amy Paller, Professor and Chair of Dermatology, Professor of Pediatrics at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine. You can download a PDF of the presentation under the Event Resources tab on the left side of your screen under the headshot. You'll be redirected back to the landing page after the webinar to complete the post-test and evaluation. You can then download or print your certificate. The program is provided by North American Center for Continuing Medical Education, LLC, the HMP company. This program is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer. The learning objectives of this presentation are to discuss atopic dermatitis treatment approaches specific to different age groups and different levels of disease severity, to optimally integrate into clinical practice the biologics and small molecule inhibitory agents recently approved for the treatment of atopic dermatitis based on efficacy and safety data, to effectively manage treatment side effects and to outline safety and efficacy data for emerging treatments of atopic dermatitis. So atopic dermatitis is a common chronic inflammatory skin disease characterized by pruritic skin and a relapsing pattern. It is primarily a pediatric problem in that 60% of patients present before one year of age and about 90% by age five years. Overall, about 15 to 30% of children have atopic dermatitis, and about two-thirds have mild disease. Although there is data that is somewhat controversial, we can estimate that about 50% of children have atopic dermatitis as adults, but clearly the higher risk is with greater disease severity. There are some essential features of atopic dermatitis. These are defined to be pruritus or itch, and eczematous dermatitis, whether acute, subacute, or chronic. That dermatitis tends to show typical morphology and age-specific patterns. In addition, another essential feature of the dermatitis is this chronic or relapsing history. Other important features of atopic dermatitis the diagnosis of which is primarily clinical, are the early age of onset, atopy in the individual or the family, that is, having other atopic disorders like asthma and allergic rhinitis or food allergy, and then IgE reactivity, quite common. And finally, the xerosis or dryness of skin. There are several associated features which may be seen. These include some atypical vascular responses, having keratosis pilaris, those follicular-based keratotic papules that are most common on the upper outer arms, the upper thighs, and particularly in younger children on the outer aspects of the cheeks, pityriasis alba, where there are indistinct hypopigmented lesions that are particularly noticed during months when the skin has been able to brown, for example, from ultraviolet exposure, and we think represent leftovers from um, subclinical inflammation. 
hyperlinear palm, that is being able to see a lot of fine lines on the palm, which are a characteristic feature particularly of those who have ichthyosis vulgaris, common genetic disorder of a deficiency of filaggrin and therefore dryness that tends to be seen with increased frequency in association with atopic dermatitis. Other associated features are ocular or periorbital changes, regional findings like perioral involvement and periauricular lesions, and then perifollicular accentuation, seen more with skin of color, lichenification or thickening of skin, seen with chronicities, and in some individuals, parigo lesions, those lesions that are quite papular and always excoriated, uh, particularly on the lower extremities, very hard to see primary lesions. We need to remember that this diagnosis of atopic dermatitis, again, primarily clinical, requires exclusion of other disorders which may look similar. For example, young children with scabies scratch quite a bit and may develop secondary eczematization. Seborrheic dermatitis in a young child, perhaps two, three years of age, can be present and sometimes is seen in addition to the atopic dermatitis. Similarly, irritant or truly allergic contact dermatitis can look like atopic dermatitis or can be seen concomitantly. I already mentioned ichthyosis vulgaris, a very common genetic disorder with dryness of skin, but other forms of the ichthyoses can also show red, dry areas with scaling and can be confused with atopic dermatitis. Other disorders to think about are psoriasis, photosensitivity dermatoses, immune deficiencies, and erythrodermis of other causes. We're focused today on toddlers and children, that is two years through five years of age, under six years of age. And it should be important to recognize that this is an age at which the lesions tend to be leading towards more involvement of flexural folds. They tend to be less exudative than the acute lesions in the younger children, the infants uh, under two years of age. And we're getting out of the area of the diaper being spared because this is an age where children become toilet trained. The morphology of lesions also can differ from those that we see as these children get older, that is adolescents and adults, where we tend to see a bit more lichenification, we see more involvement of hands, feet, uh, periorificial -or areas like eyelids, perioral and periocular areas as well as on the neck. But then this uh, distribution is not absolute. We certainly see many toddlers and young children who have the exact same distribution that we can see in our adolescents. Atopic dermatitis is a disorder that creates a great burden, not just for the child, but also for the family. When one is looking at mild to moderate atopic dermatitis, the burden is quite great on the family, but not quite as great as in severe disease. Some of the aspects of burden include poor health-related quality of life, high levels of maternal stress, and sleep disturbance for parents. 
When thinking about the pathogenesis of atopic dermatitis, we need to recognize that there is an impaired barrier that is a barrier that has to do with the uh, lipid content being altered, particularly with the very long chain fatty acids and ceramides in the barrier, as well as a decrease in certain proteins of differentiation, collagen being one of them. These are all reduced and make antigen much easier to trigger immune responses in atopic dermatitis skin, as well as um, makes the barrier such that water loss is easier, leading to skin dryness. We also have an increased risk because of this barrier of infectious diseases and colonization with organisms. In addition to the abnormality with the barrier, this is a disorder that has skewing of the skin immune system, particularly with relation to interleukin-4 and interleukin-13 and other Th2 cytokines and chemokines. The other pathway with skewing is an increase in interleukin-22, which we think is involved in the thickening of skin and lichenification with chronicity. Genetics is very important in children of this age. We know that if there's one atopic parent, 25% of children will have manifestations of atopy by three months and 50% by two years of age. If one atopic parent is severely infected, there's a 50% of atopy, and the risk is higher if the mother's affected. If both parents are atopic, that risk of having an atopic condition by two years of age is even greater. As mentioned earlier, the greatest genetic susceptibility gene is the gene encoding filaggrin, that very important barrier protein. Now, that epidermal protein filaggrin plays many roles. First is when there are loss of function mutations, as in ichthyosis vulgaris, that's been associated with more severe and earlier onset of atopic dermatitis, as well as enhanced allergen sensitization and an increased risk of developing eczema herpeticum and asthma. As mentioned earlier, a clue is the hyperlinearity of the palm and also pattern scaling, with scales particularly seen on the lower extremities and when the humidity is less, for example, in wintertime. Elagrin breakdown products also are a component of the natural moisturizing factors on skin. These are slightly acidic, so they affect the skin pH towards healthier skin, and they also impact the balance of protease activities because proteases are activated at higher pH. Elagrin protects keratinocytes against staphylococcal toxin-mediated cell death, and the minority with atopic dermatitis have a genetic defect in filaggrin, but nevertheless, once atopic dermatitis occurs, those cytokines that are increased, that Th2 skewing, further reduces the expression of filaggrin. And so we see a secondary impact on barrier proteins as part of atopic dermatitis. When we look at the prevalence in pediatric patients of other concomitant atopic disorders, and we look particularly in this age group, we see that in particular they are 
quite prevalent as shown in two longitudinal cohort studies. 3.7% by four years of age in one study have shown uh, that concomitant occurrence and almost 6% in another study. And in fact, we look at atopic dermatitis, asthma, and rhinitis as a multimorbidity cluster because they share the mechanism of Th2 skewing. Another comorbidity is Staphylococcus aureus infection. Staph aureus colonization is seen in 74% of acute and 38% of chronic lesions versus 3% in control. These individuals have an increased susceptibility to infection that usually requires oral antibiotics. Microbiome studies have shown that when there are flares, there's an increase in Staphylococcus aureus and a reduction in microbial diversity. Microbial diversity means commensal organisms, and commensals themselves are able to make anti-Staphylococcus aureus products. In fact, commensals themselves make anti-Staphylococcus aureus products. And in preclinical studies, treatment topically with commensal bacteria has been shown to restore dysbiosis and improve atopic dermatitis. There are even some studies suggesting that colonization of the anti-cubital fossae at two months of age with commensal staphylococci is associated with the lower risk of having atopic dermatitis at 12 months of age. When we think about infections, we also need to think about some viral infections that are seen with increased frequency with atopic dermatitis. One of these is eczema herpeticum, usually seen more with moderate to severe disease and with uh, greater atopic dermatitis severity in general. A second is eczema coxsackiaum, a disorder that can be confused with eczema herpeticum. This is a newly recognized complication generally of Coxsackie A6 infection, but can be quite widespread with vesicular erosive lesions that tend to, as with eczema herpeticum, cluster in the areas of involvement of the atopic dermatitis. And finally, there's also molluscum. Now, molluscum contagiosum is very common in children in general in this age group, but particularly severe molluscum with molluscum dermatitis uh, is seen more in those with atopic dermatitis. There have been many guidelines that have been released in the last few years uh, for management of atopic dermatitis. They all include pediatric atopic dermatitis, but there have been none that are specific to pediatric patients between the ages of two to less than six years. These guidelines have been put together, however, to provide a yardstick that reconciles the guidelines with step care management. This yardstick guideline sets up basic management for all areas, including non-lesional areas, that includes skin care of a moisturizer liberally and frequently used, warm but not hot, baths or showers, using non-soap cleansers ideally, 
usually once a day, very importantly, followed immediately to moisturizer in all areas, even on clear areas. And secondly, trigger avoidance. That is, if there are proven allergens and common irritants, such as soaps, temperature extremes, harsh clothing, those should be avoided. With mild atopic dermatitis, that basic management is performed and then advanced as well to the management with anti-inflammatory therapy as needed. I want to say a little bit about the moisturization. Moisturization, as mentioned, needs to be done across the board, even for perfectly normal skin. That normal skin, that normal appearing skin in atopic dermatitis is better called non-lesional because it's absolutely not normal. It has a barrier defect. It shows some subclinical signs of inflammation as well. It's been shown that when one takes even plain petrolatum, that one can apply that to skin of atopic dermatitis that's non-lesional and cause changes in the innate immunity being increased, in the expression of antimicrobial peptides and filaggrin, and also reducing the T-cell infiltration and stratum corneum thickness in this non-lesional skin just from the application of the petrolatum. So when we're putting on moisturizers, we're not just sealing something in. We're also causing changes in skin. It's also been shown that when the weekly emollient dose goes up, there's better control of atopic dermatitis. When looking at regimens for bathing and baseline hydration, we can see that a regimen that includes moisturization is very, very important. The very worst is when one takes a bath and uses no moisturizer. We know bathing will dry out skin. Critical to bathe, but also critical to uh, use that moisturizer. When we look at a variety of studies uh, at various um, agents that are called barrier repair therapies, I just want to point out through this slide that these barrier repair studies have agents that decrease dryness, increase hydration, allow sparing of anti-inflammatory. But so do those who uh, are over-the-counter products that are much less expensive. These barrier repair uh, therapies that are by prescription, as shown here, are quite expensive. We will use them on occasion if requested by families, but on the whole find that your much less costly moisturizers are just as effective. Now, with the mild atopic dermatitis, we do want to treat when there is a problem with inflammation. So when someone has a mild flare, it's important to apply topical corticosteroids. These tend to be low to medium strength potency. One applies twice a day to get started, gets it under control over three to seven days, uh, uses it a little bit beyond clearance because, of course, there's still some subclinical, and then stops. And these topical corticosteroids are still the first line of treatment to reduce inflammation. There's no consensus regarding optimal dosing or frequency, 
But there's very, very little risk of skin atrophy unless applied chronically with moderate to high potency topical corticosteroids. We do have available some non-steroidal agents, topical calcineurin inhibitors, uh, tacrolimus and famicrolimus, as well as the new phosphodiesterase 4 inhibitor, risoboral. The only known side effect from these agents is burning or stinging upon application for some patients, but there is no increased risk of atrophy or any of the other fears that have been associated with topical corticosteroids. Topical corticosteroid phobia is really a problem, and it's a problem because it decreases the use of agents that are needed to be effective, and it also um, then decreases the response. There have been several studies uh, that have been uh, showing why people are phobic, uh, primarily with skin thinning, but a variety of others, even growth and development, uh, other side effects that really just don't occur for the most part when using topical agents. One of the problems, too, is that families can be so steroid phobic that they instead turn to over-the-counter naturals or herbals. These aren't as safe as one might think. Some of them even contain steroids, and they don't tend to disclose ingredients. So we just don't know whether there are some, um, for example, plant-based products that are in them that can in themselves cause sensitization or even outright contact allergies. I always say poison ivy is very natural, but certainly you wouldn't want to put it on your two- to five-year-old. Uh, what about the topical calcineurin inhibitors? Well, these two have been associated with, with possible phobia because of the black box warning. That black box warning was, was added uh, in the 2005 to 2006 time period after this discussion uh, as a theoretical risk just because of the uh, oral tacrolimus and the known risks associated with high systemic levels when given uh, orally and uh, for transplant patients. But we now know many years down the road that there really isn't any increased risk of lymphoma or non-melanoma skin cancers from use. I wish that black box weren't there, but it is, and it leads people to be concerned. We can reassure about this and use these agents freely uh, as they're um, suggested to be prescribed but I often do use them as well as first-line agents in sensitive areas like the face. Phosphodiesterase inhibitor chrysoboral has also come to the forefront. Uh, this prevents the degradation of cyclic AMP to AMP, um, which in itself increases then cytokine levels that can drive atopic dermatitis. Uh, chrysoboral is the first one that's approved. It's a boron-based structure. The studies with chrysoboral have shown at four weeks that there is a statistically significant reduction um, towards achieving investigator global assessment of clear or almost clear with at least a two-grade reduction. Uh, and success has been seen in this static investigator global assessment um, at all visits. Uh, there has been minimal or no blood levels after topical application in children as young as two years of age, and it's approved for two years and above. And very few uh, in studies of, of adverse events, including in open label safety trials. I would say that in real life, 
you've seen considerably more stinging and burning with this agent, particularly on the face, and that can be limiting. But it's worth consideration for those steroid phobic patients or for treating more sensitive areas. Finally, I wanted to say a little bit about emerging therapies. Uh, we need to be aware of JAK inhibitors and the possibility of seeing these as topical agents. Uh, the advantage of JAK inhibitors is that they will not only target the Th2 pathway um, with IL-4 and IL-13 specifically, but they can uh, get other pathways like IL-22 signaling and also IL-31 cytokine. This is part of the pathway of Th2 primarily, but is that itch-specific cytokine uh, and JAK inhibition will uh, have a broader influence than on itch. There are two agents in development. One is topical ruxolitinib that has already shown in early phase trials, very good effect for mild to moderate disease, and the other being delgocitinib, uh, which uh, in some studies in Japan earlier on, showed uh, benefit and is now being looked at more for uh, children with delgocitinib being tested in the United States. Uh, trials in adolescents right now are going, and eventually there's no question that if safety is shown, which is most likely with a topical agent, it will be tested in two to less than six-year-olds. This is just a little bit of information about the benefit of these agents. Here you can see that a 1.5% topical ruxolitinib uh, used twice daily had a, a score with reduction, the easy score, the eczema area and severity index, that was uh, even better than seen uh, with triamcinolone application, certainly uh, significantly better than vehicle. And when looking at clear or almost clear was a, a very good reduction to that level to vehicle. A greater reduction in itch within two days with this agent and no clinically significant application site reactions. Now, when we think about um, other potential emergent agents, you should be aware that there is a topical agent that's being directed against um, the uh, itch and inflammation that can be associated with uh, the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. Now, this is an agent that then can affect itch through TRPV1. Uh, and actually is a modulator that is an agonist of this hydrocarbon receptor. In fact, it's the first in a new class called Therapeutic Aryl Hydrocarbon Modulating Agents, or TAMAs. Now, these studies have not yet been performed in, in young children, but are ongoing in adults and adolescent subjects. Here showing you a, a study already done in which one-third were adolescents looking at dosing up to 1% twice daily for a period of 12 weeks, mostly in moderately affected patients, and then follow up after that period of time. This study gave um, an, an investigator global assessment of clear or almost clear in 53%, with a pretty high vehicle response rate, showing it's got a good vehicle, um, and an easy 75, that is a 75% reduction in that easy score, in 60% of those using the active versus 26 of those using vehicle. The only adverse events that occurred more in the uh, Tepinarov group, um, the active agent versus vehicle, um, was folliculitis. It was quite mild. 
Um, and there was very little application site stinging and burning, uh, but more than with, and actually more in the vehicle the study than in the active. Uh, finally, I just want to say a little bit about uh, the microbe. That's really received a lot of attention. As mentioned, we know with flares of atopic dermatitis, there's a shift towards more staph aureus and some shift in increased staph epidermidis, but reduced bacterial diversity and reduction in commensals. We've known for a very long time that Staphylococcus aureus drives inflammation, decreases barrier function. More recently, we've learned that the commensal bacteria play an important anti-inflammatory role and actually can have anti-Staph aureus activity. So that has raised the question, can topical application of commensal therapy be used? I wanted to show you uh, two arms of that study. One is work that comes out of University of California, San Diego, uh, in which studies have shown that there's a marked reduction in um, uh, coagulase negative staphylococci that have anti-staph aureus activity in the lesional skin of atopic dermatitis um, compared to even non-lesional skin and certainly non-atopic dermatitis skin. And these studies have also shown that these um, coagulase negative staphylococci, staph epidermidis, staph hominis can produce antimicrobial factors that selectively kill staph aureus. Now, interestingly, there was a study in which they picked these various colonies, grew them out of the uh, reduced but still present coagulase negative staphylococci um, in individuals with atopic dermatitis. They grew them up, they tested them for their killing ability on Staphylococcus aureus, and then they amplified those that had the greatest ability, and they put them back on the skin of adults with atopic dermatitis from whom they had taken them. So this was called autologous microbiome transplant, and they compared that versus the vehicle. And what they found is on the arms of these five atopic dermatitis patients with just a single application 24 hours later, there was a marked reduction in the abundance of Staph aureus. So this will be used now moving forward to develop a Staph hominis that have very strong anti-Staph aureus killing ability as a new treatment approach. The other treatment approach has involved a gram-negative organism called Rosiomonas mucosa that also has been found to be reduced with flares of atopic dermatitis and has some anti-Staph aureus killing activity. This has been tested in open-label studies um, to date uh, and published, but has shown a decrease in pruritus, a decrease in uh, scored or, or an a scoring atopic dermatitis score, and a reduction in the use of steroids in a limited number of adults and children in these reports. Uh, taken together, though, this is pre uh, preliminary evidence that supports the use of commensal organisms as therapy, including in children. So in conclusion, mild atopic dermatitis is one of the most common inflammatory disorders in young children atopic, uh, with atopic dermatitis ages two to under six. The treatment of mild uh, atopic dermatitis in young children requires a multifaceted approach with education, avoidance of triggers, vigorous emollient application, the use of topical anti-inflammatory medications and vigilance for potential exacerbance, particularly infection and contact dermatitis. 
Currently available treatments are quite safe for the intermittent use required in mild disease, but parents need reassurance because of steroid and topical calcineurin inhibitors phobia. Finally, new topical agents are currently in trials with alternative mechanisms of action. And I thank you very much for your attention.